everyone, and welcome to the Sunny Go One Piece podcast. On this episode, we're going to be talking about anime episodes 52 and 53, which will be covering portions of manga chapters 98 through 100. So, as I mentioned in last week's episode, we're only going to be talking about these two episodes here because I want to lump the entire Warship Island filler story arc in one episode, as I don't want to spend too much time talking about the filler episodes. Because, well, I'm not a huge fan of them. Anyways, let's get started. So, the synopsis for these two episodes we see the Straw Hats getting caught up in some trouble as they prepare to leave Logtown. Buggy, and who we now know is Alvida, attempting to get revenge on Luffy, get him trapped on the execution tower, and try to execute him in front of everybody in Logtown. But through some mysterious intervention, he is saved and is now a race to escape Logtown before Smoker and the Marines capture them. So, differences. Only a few minor differences, actually, in these few episodes. In fact, really, the only difference is just a couple scenes that are rearranged, like Smoker's introduction and the ice cream scene. Those were supposed to be inserted here just after Luffy is stuck on the execution tower. But, as I spoke to in a few episodes ago, that was moved much earlier when they first arrived at Logtown. But other than that, these episodes were adapted very faithfully and almost one to one. So, moving on to my thoughts on these episodes, to start off, we finally find out who this mysterious woman is, and it's none other than that first villain that Luffy ever defeated in the story, which shockingly is Alvida. And Luffy's reaction to this is so funny, with complete confusion as to who she is. And I love the part where she mentions that while the Subesubenomi only improved her beauty, quote unquote, slightly, it did remove her freckles. And that joke, the way Luffy reacts to that is so funny. And like how he says something to the effect of, that really wasn't the problem. Or in Japanese, it's like, yeah, yeah, so what touched them? <laughs> sounds like what a normal person sounds like, and almost seems like he's breaking the fourth wall in this very moment for just this one line, and it's freaking hilarious. It's pretty much the best acting by Mayumi Tanaka. I mean, just the fact that she, the, the fact that she sounds like herself is just funny in and of itself. Anyways, as I mentioned, so Alavina now has a devil fruit power and it is the Subesume no Mi or Slippery Slippery Fruit. I guess in the Netflix they translated as Smooth Smooth Fruit, which also makes sense too. But yeah, her incredible weight loss has always made no sense to me, even with the explanation given with the fruit. I, I, like, I just don't, I don't really get it. <laughs> Did she just rub it off or something like that? Or the, the, The fat just like slipped right off of her. It just doesn't make any sense to me. But I've never really dwelled on it too much. I mean, yes, we are talking about an anime, so. The other hilarious joke during this scene is easily the exchange between Luffy and Buggy, as Luffy can't seem to remember Buggy's name at all and keeps throwing out random names until he gets to the, to the last one where he just remembers, oh, it's Buffoon. <laughs> After going through a list of ma mistaken names, it's just so funny. Things take a slightly more dramatic shift in tone as Luffy gets trapped on the execution tower by Kabaji with a storm incoming, and things are starting to really look bad. But with Luffy about to be executed by Buggy, there again still are some funny moments sprinkled in here and there, with Luffy politely asking to be let go, and Buggy's like, <laughs> like hell, I'm going to. 
And then Luffy's obliviousness to the fact that he's at his own execution and he's in awe of the fact that he's going to finally get to see an execution. And then then he realizes that he's at his own execution and Buggy's just like, are you serious right now? It's just so funny. But then we get that famous scene of Luffy saying his supposed last words by declaring to the town and in a way to the world that he is going to become the Pirate King. And everyone is stunned that he would say such a thing in that place of all places. This is always amazing to me, symbolically at least, the fact that he is in such a position that would warrant anyone in that situation just giving up. But he still full-heartedly believes that he will still get out of this terrible situation and still achieve his goals and what's crazy though is in an incredible reversal right at the brink of death luffy realizes there is no way out and immediately apologizes to his crew and happily accepts death and smiles as he's about to die at the very last second a lightning strike comes down attracted by buggy's sword acting as a lightning rod destroying the execution tower and freeing luffy luffy obviously being made of rubber is completely unharmed by the lightning and one one thing that's always stood out to me and and I always found funny is the scene right after we see Sanji and Zoro kind of just casually standing there a little shocked at witnessing what just happened and Sanji offhandedly asking Zoro hey do you believe in God and Zoro's like come on we don't have time for this and it's just how calmly he asks that question as well as the fact that this is exactly what we're all thinking too as the audience because this had to have been some sort of a divine intervention because that was just too crazy. And I'll, I mean, I don't really have any spoilers for this, but I, there is one aspect of this that I want to talk about in spoiler section. Anyways, moving on, Smoker's reaction to Luffy smiling, there's a lot of significance to this, some of which I will get a bit more into this episode and more in spoilers. But here we see the beginning of the foreshadowing that Luffy is indeed special in some way that almost predestined him to becoming the Pirate King and follow in Roger's footsteps. And there is a lot of foreshadowing here for a lot of different elements that will be later revealed throughout the series. But it is interesting to see how this is basically the first big step we get towards something special about Luffy, other than the fact that he's our hero and that he's, you know, super strong. Episode 52 ends with the reveal of a mysterious cloaked man with facial tattoos speaking some ominous words about fate and winds, and we have no idea what the hell this guy is. And I will talk about this character a little bit more in spoilers, because he is a very, very mysterious character, even by my standards of where I'm at in the series. Continuing to episode 53, we get a few more words from this mysterious cloaked man seemingly taking an interest in Luffy becoming a pirate, as well as Roger's voiceover from the current opening about inherited will, the passage of time, and people's dream, and how these things can never be stopped as long as people seek the answers of freedom, which this dialogue is where the opening actually took it from. This voiceover from Roger actually neatly summarizes the broad themes of One Piece and and sums up a lot of Luffy's motivations pretty well too and I always found that very interesting why this random Roger quote is inserted into this point because I mean while I get it that this is basically the start of the main journey and this is what drives Luffy and now that we're going into the Grand Line it would make sense that these would come up but it just always seemed a little random that it shows up in a voiceover especially a voiceover across this character who we know nothing about at this point 
Moving on, here in the next scene, we see Smoker's powers finally on full display as he apprehends Buggy and Alvida, as well as the crews. It seems crazy at this point in One Piece that we get a power that is so OP, like, I mean, way overpowered, as we'll see later in this episode. And I'll talk a bit more in detail about how crazy this devil fruit is when when he and Luffy face off later. We also get introduced to the Kairo Seki or the Sea Prism Stone or Sea Stone material, depending on what translation you see. This interesting and rare material is made of a stone that gives off the same effect as the ocean does and drains Devil Fruit users of their strength and powers. We'll go on to see this material show up at various points throughout the story and play into some major parts of the story as well, but I just wanted to bring up that this is the first instance of this material. And I also wanted to quickly mention before moving on how imaginative and creative the buggy car transformation is and it's a shame we only got to see it for like a few seconds. I just wanted to mention that. In the next set of scenes, we get to see Tashigi confronting Zoro, but is clearly outmatched by Zoro. Then Tashigi gets upset with him as he spares her and accuses him of sexism because he's unwilling to fight her evenly and kill her when she's defeated. This makes Zoro really uncomfortable as she now not only looks like Quina and fights like her, but is also saying things very similar to her as well. I always found this a little disappointing with Zoro, because as a kid, he respected Quina on equal levels, but it seems with her death and as he grew up, he became a bit more sexist and now views them as weaker than him and thinks they deserve mercy. This is actually one character growth trait that I'd like to see Zoro develop some more to get back to where he was as a kid throughout the story. And I hope we get there at some point. Following that, we get a highly anticipated match of Smoker versus Luffy. However, Luffy gets his ass handed to him as Smoker can seemingly not be hit by any of Luffy's attacks, as Smoker is the user of the Mokumokonomi, or the Smoke Smoke slash Plume Plume fruit, and this fruit is clearly overpowered, and we'll eventually learn more about fruits like his, but at this moment, it seems crazy, and it'll be very interesting to see if Luffy will ever eventually be able to figure out how to get around this crazy elemental fruit that makes its users seemingly invulnerable. And yeah, at the time when I saw this, I was just just kind of floored at how strong Smoker was and just how strong this fruit was. It seemed unbeatable. I mean, aside from maybe like strong gusts of wind, <laughs> which is interesting because of the character, the cloaked character, which I'll talk about a little bit more later. Anyways, just when Luffy is about to be detained, he's saved by that strange cloaked man and we learn almost nothing about this guy other than that he's a wanted man and his name is Dragon, which is a pretty badass name. But all his answers to why he helped Luffy are all cryptic and we have no idea how he's connected to Luffy or how he's connected to the story overall. I will admit, when I first read this, I had my theories but nothing prepared me for his true identity. But even to this day, I still really don't have a solid idea of this character whatsoever. And I don't think most, I mean, there are some theories floating out there, but even then, I still don't know. Another thing I wanted to mention is if you haven't noticed the trend throughout this episode, it seems like natural occurrences keep helping the Straw Hats from the lightning saving Luffy, the rain making it impossible for Moji from setting the Mary on fire, or the 
Marines' weapons from firing, and finally to the green wind clearing a path for them all and being in their favor for a getaway. And it's heavily implied that Dragon at least conjured the wind. But here's my theory, and pretty much... I think most fans' theories is that Dragon has a devil fruit that allows him to control or conjure weather, much like Storm from the X-Men. I'm honestly not sure what the fruit would be called because nothing jumps to mind. My guess would be like Koko no Mi, as Ko in terms of the word weather for Japanese, Tenko. The more commonly used word for weather is Tenki, but that's three syllables and devil fruit names are always two syllable sounds repeating twice. So it can't be tanky tanky and here in Japanese the end sound is considered a syllable since the kanji for weather ko is two syllables I feel like that would be the best choice at least to my knowledge I will admit while I am fluent in Japanese it is still my second language so I may not know all the vocabulary that could be possible for this but yeah I this fruit is if we if it is what we think it is is way overpowered like this fruit is so damn strong and it would make sense that a character like dragon have this power i suppose i mean at this point in the story he just seems like a a huge player with a power this strong and we still have no idea what he is but it just adds to an ever-growing list of mysterious things that one piece introduces that we want to know more about that seem to be related but separate from the main story One interesting that should go without saying as we should be able to piece it together from the fact that Buggy did travel with Roger but he talks about how nostalgic it will be to go back to the Grand Line but it's revealed that Buggy has been to the Grand Line and made made it back which makes us think twice about just how strong Buggy really is if he can go into the Grand Line, survive it and not only that but come back as throughout the series Everyone has talked about how ridiculously hard and dangerous the Grand Line is to go into, and not only that, but to come back out. Moving on, once the Straw Hats get away thanks to some help from Dragon, we get one of the most iconic moments of the series, and probably what is considered the end of the quote-unquote prologue and the beginning of the real story. The famous barrel dream declaration scene. I don't even know if that's what it's called, but that's what I'm calling it in my head. This scene isn't particularly flashy or anything, but there's just this sense of grand significance as this is a huge moment where we finally have the crew together embarking on this exciting and perilous new journey into an unknown sea, all while creating this amazing moment. We get each crew member declaring their dream and why they're going into the Grand Line, and the music here swells with each member putting their foot on the barrel while in the stormy rain, stating their dreams with all five of them breaking the barrel together as of a christening like they do with the champagne bottles on new ships made in voyages and for me this scene always gives me chills because for the first time they're a complete unit we see them all sharing in a moment together as one while episode one may be where our journey starts with Luffy this is where the straw hat pirates journey started and it is so amazing to watch and whenever this scene is referenced back in sort of flashback montages or just you know when you see it in sort of like a timeline I remember when I went to the museum and I saw the timeline of events and whenever you get to this moment there's just always something really special about this barrel breaking scene and these five members looking back and it's just 
cool to see where they all started. And, you know, I don't want to get too spoilery, but there's just something about these five, the, the original East Blue Five. Obviously, the crew grows in size with new members adding, you know, later on in the series. But there is some significance to these five always. And I feel like they're the main characters of the series. And even the other Straw Hat crew members that do join, they're still somewhat of a secondary um, main characters. But these five always seem to be the focus. And I just love seeing that this is the moment where they all became one single unit. And it's really fun to see. And you know, when the series is over, this is probably the first scene I'll think about. How it went from this iconic moment all the way to the end of the series. It's also pretty cool how Oda timed it so that this significant moment happens on exactly chapter 100. And I feel like Oda does this on purpose a lot. He gives very like round chapter numbers, very significant moments, whether it be 100, 200, and and etc. And which is why I am very excited to see what he's going to do for chapter 1000, which is coming up pretty soon, probably towards the end of the year in 2020 or the very beginning in 2021. I don't know how the timing will work out, but it's getting very close. And chapter 1000, oh man, something huge is probably going to be happening there. But obviously, we're all not there yet on the podcast, but I am there in real life. So I'm very excited for that. Anyways, in closing, this is the conclusion to the quote-unquote prologue of One Piece. What we have seen so far is essentially just the setup by introducing us all to the main characters, the world, the social and government structures, the economy and power system for the main story of One Piece, which is the adventure in the Grand Line. However, before we get to that, on the next episode, we will be quickly going over the Warship Island arc with the A Piece and the Millennial Dragon filler story arc. As I mentioned in the intro, we will be squishing most of this filler into one podcast just to get it out of the way, and we'll cover all these episodes from 54 to 61 on the next podcast, so I will see you next week with that. If you enjoyed this, send me a like or comment, and if you want to join me on this journey of rewatching One Piece, please consider subscribing. Check out my Instagram and Twitter account at Podcast. if you want updates of when I post new episodes or see some pictures of my manga collection you can check those out as well as always i wanted to thank you for taking the time to listen to my podcast and yeah we'll do a brief spoiler section right after this episode but if you do not want to stick around for that i hope to see you on the next episode bye So, spoiler section. I think the first thing I want to talk about are the smiling deaths and the will of D. Now, we don't know the concept of the will of D yet, but it later comes to the realization that all the people with the middle name D go out in a blaze of glory and dying with a smile on their face, whether it be Roger, Haguar, and of course, Ace. And I think on a thematic level, this is really just done to show that these people, that they live in a way that's so free and they do as they want and accomplish what they want, that they live without any regret. So no matter where or how they die, they always can go out smiling because they don't fear death, nor do they regret anything they did or haven't done in life. And I think that's really the main point of the smiling while dying when it comes to the people with the middle initial D. 
I don't know if there's any more in-story explanation for this other than that. And I, I don't really, really think there should be, to be quite honest. I like the fact that, really, the only reason why they can all smile is because, yeah, they've lived a good life and how they've wanted to live it without any regrets or fears. Like, I don't necessarily want there to be some sort of a spiritual or magical reason why they can smile when they die. I think it's just the fact that anyone with the name D, they just live a certain way that allows them to smile on death's doorstep. The second thing I wanted to talk about, and this is really stupid, but I love how here Sanji asks Zoro if he believes in God, and Zoro just kind of like ignores that question. But later on in Skypiea, we find out that, yeah, Zoro does not believe in God. And in fact, he kind of morally opposes it, saying that it's just stupid to believe in God, and that he's a person that likes to control his own destiny. And so it's interesting how even here we get this small sort of foreshadowing of Zoro's belief in God that he just doesn't care, which gets expanded on much further in Skypea when they are faced with a quote-unquote God in NL. And I always just loved that about Zoro. I mean, I mean, me personally, yeah, I'm I'm agnostic, and so I don't really believe in God either. So it's just kind of funny to see Zoro's explanation of not believing in God as well, even in the face of seeing all these ridiculous things that would easily make one believe that God could exist. And then finally, Dragon. So Dragon is a big thing. I think that everybody's curious to see how he fits into the bigger narrative of One Piece because we later go on to find out that yes, he is in fact Luffy's father and he is his full name is Monkey D. Dragon and he's a big deal and he's probably the most wanted person in the world at the moment as the leader of the Revolutionary Army. Now, that being said, we still don't really know too much about the Revolutionary Revolutionary Army and how they really fit into it. We've been drip fed many pieces of information throughout the years of Dragon and the Revolutionaries, but I always feel like they seem like a tertiary thing to the main story. Like they're there in the background and they will play a big role at some point towards the end of the series. But it is interesting how Dragon has not really been developed at all, really. And most of what we see of Dragon are just little snippets between major arcs of him observing what Luffy's doing and how he's progressing in his pirate career and and the little bit of information we get from Garp after NES Lobby when he originally reveals the most details we get of Dragon. Knowing that he is Luffy's father though it is interesting those words that he says how he says a pirate huh fine by me and it, it almost seems like he hasn't really kept tabs on Luffy at all and he's just now discovering that Luffy wants to be a pirate and not only that he wants to be the pirate king and he's pretty okay with it he's just like oh my son wants to be a pirate I guess that's cool <laughs> it's the kind of the sense that I got from that scene and from that line and it is interesting to see that scene in retrospect when you know about the fact that Dragon is Luffy's father but yeah I'm very curious because I have really paid too much attention to the revolutionary army and the scenes containing them so I really haven't put too many thoughts together or created any theories in my head as to what the revolutionary armies could do and you know I'm obviously curious to see what happens to Kuma, Sabo, Ivankov and Dragon and Koala and all the other revolutionaries that we've seen thus far and how they're really playing into that and it seems like they're obviously gearing up for some huge fight with Blackbeard 
But, you know, I don't want to get too much into that until we get to that portion of the story. But yeah, Dragon is a very interesting character. And for the life of me, I really have no idea where they're taking that character, to be honest. So hopefully we get some answers sometime soon, maybe? I don't know. Anyways, it's kind of my sort of rambling on about Dragon. But yeah, I appreciate you all listening. And I will see you on the next episode. See ya. Thank you.